Well, good morning. <clears throat> good to be back and see some uh, healthier faces this week. Um, we, uh, as, as we come up on uh, Christmas, um, and we, we get ready to celebrate the, the birth of our Savior Jesus, I think it's important that uh, we see and recognize what happened before his birth, what led up to it. And I'm talking about way before his birth. Um, so let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the very beginning of the New Testament. And uh, if you're physically able, we ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We will be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And there are some names in here that are difficult, so bear with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, bad, dab, Aminadab. Aminadab begot uh, Nashon, and Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot uh, Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot uh, Jeconiah, Jeconiah, and his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah Jecon- begot <laughs> Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot um, Abiud. And Abiud begot Alakim. And Alakim begot Azar. Azar begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim. And Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eliezer. Eliezer. And Eliezer begot uh, Mathen. Mathen begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. As we lead up to um, celebrating the birth of your son Jesus, we uh, we would like to take a look at it and see 
what led up to his birth, Lord. I, I pray that you will open your word to us, open um, our hearts and our minds to receive it. Lord, I believe there's an important message here, and I, I, I pray that you will speak through me and allow us to hear it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I think we can all agree this is usually the section of Scripture that we skip over, correct? Um, I think any time we hear the word begot or begat, our, our, our eyes just kind of glaze over and we get down to the good stuff. We say, we got we to gotta skip this and get to uh, the meat. But the importance of this passage, I don't think we can overlook. Matthew was writing to a, a primarily Jewish population. So uh, it, the genealogy was something that was extremely important to them. Uh, Jewish people would want to know uh, that the Messiah came from the lineage of Abraham and King David. It, it, was, it would have been very important. to them. They, they, That's how they traced everything back. To, to be who you are, you, they needed to know who your family was. For instance, if you wanted to be a priest, you would have had to be able to trace your lineage back to the Levites. Right? You could have been a priest otherwise. Today's day and age, we say, you can be anything you want. Back then, it was, you can be anything that your family says you can be. Um, so, for the Jewish people who Matthew was writing to, it was important to be able to show who Jesus came from. In verse 17, Matthew breaks down the genealogy into three groups of 14. And we don't know exactly why he does this. Some say it was because the name David in Hebrew uh, numerology added up to the number 14. Others say that it was because the number 7 is a symbolic number of completion or perfection. And um, 14 was a multiple of 7. So, like I said, there's no... Nothing in here that actually tells us why he broke it down the way he did, um, but there are some theories on it. Um, so that's three groups of 14, and if you do your math right, you're going to come up with 42 generations in the genealogy. The problem is that's not a complete genealogy, though. Uh, we know that from people that have far more time on their hands than I do, they can go back into the Old Testament and read through every generation leading up to Jesus. And we find that it's closer to 50, 50 generations from Abraham to Jesus. But it wasn't so important to be complete as it was to be accurate for the Jewish people. Now the interesting thing about the genealogy is not who Matthew left out, but it's who he put in. He included the names of five women. Now, today, that wouldn't be a big deal. Um, but back then, you traced your lineage through the father. You traced your lineage through men. So it would have been an odd thing for them to read uh, about the lineage of Jesus coming through women. So I want to take some time this morning and take a look at the women that were listed here and what that means for us. The first woman that we see listed is Tamar. She was married 
to Judah's son, Ur. Okay? Um, you'll remember Judah. He was the brother that convinced Joseph's other brothers not to kill him. Remember, he said, let, let, let's not leave him to die. Let's sell him off and, and make some money off of him. So he was the one that convinced his brothers, let's sell him off into slavery. That was the Judah that we're talking about here. And so Tamar marries Judah's firstborn son, Ur. Now, Ur was an evil man. He was an evil man, and God killed him before he was able to give uh, Tamar any children. So Judah tells his next oldest son, which is Onan, to marry her and give her a son because it was his duty to carry on the lineage for his older brother. Problem was, Onan married uh, Tamar, but refused to give her any children. So God took him as well. So Judah must have been feeling a little bit like Jacob, because he didn't want his youngest son to go marrying Tamar. Um, he probably figured there was something wrong with her, right? The, the first two sons that he gives to her to marry end up dying. So he wasn't real quick to send his last and youngest son uh, to her. Just like Joseph's father did not want him going. So, um, and to be honest, I can't marry him. If I lost two sons to the same woman, I think I'd be a little hesitant about giving the third to her as well. So Judah tells her to go home and live as a widow with your family. So she does. She leaves, she puts on her, her, her widow's garment. They used to wear clothing that would allow other people to know that they were in mourning, that they were a widow. And she lived at home. But he did tell her, Judah told her, uh, when the last one grows up and is of age, that I will send him to marry you. Um, but that was just a putting her off, uh, as it were. So, well, one day Judah decides he's going to go out and shear some of his sheep. Well, word gets to Tamar that this is what Judah is about to go do. So she changes out of her widow's clothes and then wraps her face up in a veil. And she goes, uh, just so that she wouldn't be recognized by anyone. And she goes and waits at the gate of Timnah. Timnah was, was the city that, that, that uh, Judah keeps his sheep. So she sits out at the gate. And Judah sees her sitting at the gate and thinks she's a prostitute. So he negotiates um, a deal with her, and they negotiate for a goat. Seems reasonable. Negotiates for a goat. The problem is, he doesn't have a goat on him. So she says, well, why don't you leave me your signet ring? We've talked about signet rings. It's the family uh, crest, as it were. And uh, your bracelets, and, and also leave me your staff. Okay, they kind of a um, what do they call that when you when you put something down? Collateral, collateral. Until I get my goat, uh, I want these things from you. So he gives them all to her, and when he gets home, like any good father, he sends his son to pay off his prostitution debt. He sends him with a goat. Problem is his son can't find Tamar anywhere. So a few months go by, and Judah is told that Tamar has been prostituting herself and is now 
pregnant, um, has become pregnant in the process. So he orders her to be brought back to him so that she can be burned alive. That would have been the penalty, is death. Many cultures would have had stoning, but uh, they were a little more brutal, and it would have been death by fire. So Tamar sends a messenger to Judah with his signet ring, bracelets, and staff, and told the messenger, tell Judah to inspect them closely because they belong to the baby's father. Okay, so... Technically, she didn't do anything wrong. We think a lot of that she, oh, well, she dressed up like a prostitute. But she was entitled to a child from that family. And he was just as close akin to Ur as the brother. So it was perfectly legitimate for her to have a child with him. The second woman that we come across is Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. That, that's not usually what you want to be referred to when somebody's saying your name. Rahab the prostitute. Now she actually lived in the um, Canaanite city of Jericho. Meaning that she probably worshipped Jericho, the moon god, at some point in her life. Um, so you probably already know the story, but, but Joshua sent a couple spies into Jericho to check out what was going on before they tried to invade. And the Bible doesn't tell us how, but these men find their way, way to Rahab's house. And the king hears about these spies inside of Jericho, and he goes looking for them. But what happens is Rahab hides these spies. She hides these men and keeps them safe. But she makes them promise her that when the invasion happens, that they will spare her life. And they end up doing that. Well, Rahab, at the end of the story, ends up marrying an Israelite and becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Rahab the prostitute becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. The third woman that we see here is Ruth. Now, we recently took an in-depth look at, at Ruth's life in our Wednesday Kaya service. But, but just a quick recap. Ruth lived in the time of Judges. So we know that this Judges, remember, was a dark uh, roller coaster ride of God's mercy. And then uh, the Israelites turning their back on them. God's mercy, Israelites turning their back on them. It was just up and down constantly. So... You may remember that Naomi and her husband had two sons, and they had to move to Moab because of the famine that was going on in Bethlehem. So when they get there, Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons end up marrying Moabite women, and then both of her sons die. So Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, go home and live with your families. Live as widows, just like Tamar was told to do. Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, takes her up on the offer and says, I'll see you. I'm going back to my house. But Ruth says, I'm sticking with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will become my God. So they move back to um, uh, Israel. And when they move back, 
Naomi is so depressed by the loss of her husband and the loss of her two sons that she changes her name from Naomi to bitter. She's just angry. She's upset with God. So when they get back, they can't find food. So Ruth goes to a field owned by a man by the name of Boaz, who happens to be related to the family. And this is good news because Boaz is what would be called a kinsman redeemer. We talked about that before. A kinsman redeemer. That's somebody that's closest in the family that can take the place of the husband to the widow. Right? In Tamar, we saw the brothers being that. Well, uh, Naomi didn't have any more sons, so she couldn't give Ruth any more sons. So it would be the next closest person in line that would be able to marry her. One night, Ruth sneaks into the field where Boaz is asleep with his crops. Remember, he was sleeping with his crops because he was afraid that neighboring cities knew that this was the harvest season and this is a good time to just come in and steal. We don't have to do any work. We just come in and steal the crops from them. Well, she lays down with him and lets him know that she is available for marriage. This would have been kind of a scandalous thing for a woman to do. The problem was that there was another man more closely related to uh, Ruth's deceased husband than Boaz. So they have to go through him, and this man decides he doesn't need that in his life at the moment, so he leaves Ruth to Boaz. The fourth woman that we see, Bathsheba. Now, I don't think we need to go deep into this story. We probably know her uh, better than most women in the Bible, but... Uh, King David saw uh, his soldier Uriah's wife bathing on the rooftop. He sent his um, servant to go get her and bring her to the palace. Uh, she ends up pregnant with David's son. And to cover it up, David brings Uriah back from battle uh, so that he could spend some time with his wife. But she won't do it. Or he won't do it, I'm sorry. So David decides uh, to get Uriah drunk thinking, well, if he gets drunk and, and, and he sleeps with his wife, then we can pass this child off as his. But he refuses. The problem is Uriah is loyal. He's so loyal that he refuses to leave his post. So King David sends him back out into battle with some other generals, but then sends a message to those other generals saying, when you get out to battle, I want everybody else to pull back and leave Uriah out there to be killed. And the fifth woman that we see is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, Mary was engaged to Joseph. But before they were married, an angel came, the angel named Gabriel came to Mary and told her that he had an assignment for her from God. She was to carry the Savior of the world. She was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And she says, I don't see how that's possible because I've never been with a man. But Gabriel tells her not to worry that the Holy Spirit is going to take care of everything. This all came as a small shock, I'm sure, to Joseph. But fortunately, he got a vision in a dream telling him, Joseph, this is okay. 
that, that this is the son of God that Mary is going to be carrying and that you should marry her anyway. So what is it that we can learn from these five women being in the genealogy of Jesus? There are three things. First, women are absolutely essential to the church. I had the opportunity several times to fill in for our pastor in Memphis on Wednesday nights. And my, my role was to find a, a, a passage of scripture, study it, dissect it, and then come and teach it to a class. I was blessed to have a woman by the name of Barbara Lambert in the class every week. She and her husband, Mickey, never missed. Unless they were, maybe twice a year, they went to see their son in North Carolina. But they were there every Wednesday. And they were such a blessing to me. It didn't matter how thoroughly I knew the scripture, how thoroughly I knew the passage. She would have a linking scripture that, that would just make the scripture I was teaching that much clearer. She just, and she wouldn't know what I was going to pre, teach on. She would just be able to look at what I was teaching and know, oh, well, if you look back in the Old Testament at such and such, it was amazing. I, I've never met anyone with the Bible knowledge that, that she had. Maybe her husband, Mickey. They, they, if I was teaching something, Ms. Barber would say, well, if you turn into Psalm uh, 78, and all of a sudden, Brother Mickey would just start shaking his head like, yep, I know exactly which verse she's going to. And a verse I would have never even <laughs> heard of before. It was just amazing how she was able to teach on top of what I already ha had planned. Um, it, she, was a, she was truly a blessing. Another woman is Annie Armstrong, who's responsible for founding the Women's Missionary Union. Um, we and probably most churches take up an offering around Easter time uh, for the Annie Armstrong Foundation. And this is instrumental in spreading the gospel all throughout North America. Beth Moore. I don't know if you've heard of Beth Moore. She's written more books and more Bible studies spreading the gospel across the world than I could ever read. She's amazing. Fanny Crosby, she wrote hymns. She wrote, I believe it was 6,000 hymns. Um, and a lot of them are sung across uh, the world every Sunday. Blessed Assurance, I am thine, O Lord, near the cross. Praise him, praise him, and to God be the glory. Women are essential to the church and I believe are underappreciated for their contributions. The second thing we can see is that God can use anyone. And I say that not because they're women, but because they all had flaws. They all had flaws. All of them were involved in what would have been considered sexual scandals. One pretended to be a prostitute. One was a prostitute. One snuck in and laid down with a man who was asleep to let him know she was available to be married. One committed adultery. One was a, a teenager claiming to be a virgin that showed up pregnant. They all had things that um, would have caused people to look at this genealogy 
and say, why is that in there? Why would, they, why would Matthew include those things? If this was your family tree, these are probably some things that wouldn't get brought up at Thanksgiving dinner, right? But it's important to the genealogy. It doesn't matter what you've done or what people think you have done, such as in Mary's case. God can use you. He used fishermen. He used tax collectors that at the time were considered the scum of the earth. He used a murderer like Saul. Abraham was a liar. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a con man. Do you know why God uses messed up people to do the work of the kingdom? Because that's all he's got to work with. We're, we're all messed up in some way. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have problems. And we've all done things that we aren't proud of. But God can still use us. He can even use our weaknesses and make them a strength. But we have to be willing to be used. Number three. Last one. God can work through any situation. If you take the time to look at the genealogy, you'll find some times that we wouldn't be proud to have in our family tree. We talked about the sexual scandals. You'll notice Matthew doesn't use the name of Bathsheba. He doesn't call her by name. He refers to her as the wife of Uriah. And this is to be a reminder that not only was there an act of adultery, but there was an act of adultery that led to murder. There was a destruction of Jerusalem in this genealogy. There was deliberate disobedience in this genealogy. There was 70 years of exile. Just in this genealogy, Matthew wanted the Jewish people to see what led up to Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And he decided to include sexual scandals, adultery, murder, the destruction of Jerusalem, deliberate disobedience, and 70 years of exile. And God was able to work through all of those things to get to verse 18, where it says, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. Jesus has all those things in his genealogy, in his family tree, things anyone else would be embarrassed by and want to forget. But our God can use all things for good. He could take anybody in any situation and be glorified in it. He used those people and those events to bring about the greatest gift the world has ever known. The birth of the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for all the things that you made happen just to lead up to the birth of Jesus. Lord, to give us your son to, to die on a cross for, for problems that we create, Lord, for our sins, for turning our, 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 our backs on you. Lord, you're so gracious. You're so giving. You're so kind. You're so loving. I just pray that this time of season we would see that, 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 we, that would be the focus. Lord, so many times we, we see Christmas as a, a time of, of presents and gifts. Well, Lord, you gave us the ultimate present, the ultimate gift, and we're so, so grateful. 
Lord, I pray that you will uh, watch over us, protect us, keep us safe. Um, allow us to feel your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.